0: does have it all all of our pre-owned vehicles are hubler q certified which include a 128 point vehicle inspection a free carfax vehicle history report and two warranties a two-year 100,000 mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day 1,000 mile comprehensive warranty visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com has it all. before we get to that Stephen holder espn.com who covers the colts i have a trivia question for you Stephen. right off the top you ready that's shocking I know. So last <laughs> night, we were at the Pacer game, correct? We were. Can you tell me the leading score in last night's game? <laughs> I think it was Halliburton, but I'm not sure, actually. Because it <laughs> dawned on me after the fact, we paid zero attention to the game. Well, that's what happens when I go with you, because you got too many trivia questions for
1: me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was Jeremy Grant by a point.
0: Correct. 34 All for right. Jeremy Grant. We had, last night's trivia was decent, though, was it not? No, no. It sparked a lot
1: of conversation. It, it was. It was. very. Right. They had a lot of wheels turning.
0: Yes. Sparking conversation <laughs> today is the fact of a report that uh, Jonathan Taylor could be, I guess, questionable for the rest of the year because of a thumb injury. We don't know the extent of it. We don't really even know when it happened. Uh, what are you hearing?
1: This is legit. Uh, now, we do not know, you know what the consequence of this is going to be, but this is a real thing. And I have two sources that have repeated that to me, that uh, this, this could result in him missing some, some time. Uh, they are still working through the particulars of the injury and, and what it means and, and what the course of action and next steps will be. So that's where they're at right now. I mean, I suspect they know more than they're telling me, and and that's fine, but but the fact that they are – oh, let me rephrase that. Generally, the way these things go is they don't admit to a lot. <laughs> and so they're admitting to the fact that – multiple sources admitting to the fact that, that this thing is real and, and that he, he could miss some time here. So it's not great, and I guess we'll see what the week brings. But uh, there's always something, right? Have
0: they – here's a weird question, Stephen. Do we know which hand this injury is on? Because I realize that's not, you know, it's not like he's a quarterback, but I would imagine even a running back, you carry the ball predominantly in one hand or the other. That's true. You do. Um, I haven't gotten that nailed down. So, I mean, I believe it's the
1: right, but I, not enough to report it. I don't have that with enough confidence to report it as fact. So I'm going to refrain from doing that. I would say though, even if it is his left, I, I think you still do have some concern because you will see ball carriers often switch hands depending on which way they're running, which way the pursuit is coming from. You know, if he breaks to the outside, running to his left, for example, um, and this is, goes for most running backs, you will often switch the ball to the outside hand so that you, you're your hand is not in contact with the, the first incoming tacklers. So that's a pretty uh, a, a pretty instinctual thing that running backs do. So even if it is the offhand, I think there's still some concern, and and you would be concerned about, about ball security there too.
2: He's Stephen Holder, covers the Colts for ESPN.com. Stephen, another weird question in that same realm. We know, obviously, I would hope that it happened – in game right and if it did happen right. in game do we know where or like what point in time it happened has that been revealed yet
1: no i i don't know i even went back and i was kind of uh kind of glossing or uh sort of gl- glossing over the film a little bit just now just to see if i missed something and i didn't get through all of it but um i i can't tell i really can't uh someone on twitter I can't remember who it was. No one I know, but someone on Twitter. So it's a very reliable source. <laughs> um, said <laughs> said that the radio broadcast. Uh, maybe you guys can help with this. May have mentioned uh, that he was having his hand wrapped at some point in the game. So I don't know if I suspect maybe that was Lara or someone uh, who had eyes on that. I-, I didn't. I didn't listen, so I was not aware of that and did not see it. So that's that's what someone claims on Twitter, which is a great source for information, as you well know.
0: Steven, if, let's just say for the sake of argument that Jonathan Taylor is going to miss some time and that the yeah. Twitter report was accurate, right? Um, but in, in that event, do they come up with different schemes for Zach Moss to, to look different than he did when Jonathan Taylor was not available, if that makes sense? In other words, to not go back to what has already been revealed. Does Shane Steichen have another – rabbit in the hat or you just go back to you know what we know what worked with them before and we're going to keep it simple i think it's more the latter i think you stick with what works for the most part i I do think that
1: the schemes look a little different based on who the quarterback is or was now zach moss played a lot more with anthony richardson uh jonathan taylor i think shared the field with with anthony for like two snaps which is unbelievable uh, but anyway, you know he he got hurt in that first uh, that Titans game. In fact, the the first Titans game, which is uh, which was Taylor's first game and the game in which Anthony Richardson was injured. So anyway, that could just depending on or, de- or dependent on the way Anthony Richardson plays and the and the types of plays you might call with him in the game. That might be somewhat different because a lot of the time we saw Zach Moss again, we saw him sharing the backfield with Richardson. So that may be different, but I don't think so. Generally, uh, I would say this, that St. Uh, Steichen, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the usage of the two different running backs, and, and he did say very specifically going into a game that he puts, you know, they've got that call sheet that you always see play callers use, and they've got all those plays on there. And he, he revealed that one of the things that he does is that he, in his running plays, he will tag which running back he wants to run which plays. You understand? So right. there are certainly, based on that, there are plays that they feel more comfortable using Zach Moss for versus Jonathan Taylor. Their skill sets are different. So I think that makes sense. And, and I think that it gives you the blueprint if you're saying Steichen. You already have a blueprint for what you know Works well with Zach Moss.
2: Does he instantly become a workhorse back if Jonathan Taylor's forced to miss time, or are you using a like a Trey Sermon, for example, as a change of pace?
1: No, I I think you go with with Moss. I mean, he's proven that he can do it. I I think it was what was the game? Was it the Ravens game where he had 30 carries? Yeah, I mean, that's about as workhorse as you can get. So I, I just think the drop off after him is just too big, you know. I mean, they you may spell him certainly from time to time, and that's fine. But I, I think for the most part, you're going to see heavy usage. If Taylor doesn't play, I think uh, you should expect to see very heavy usage of Moss. And then maybe he gets spelled a play here, a play there. But he's going to be the guy in my, in my estimation, at least.
0: Uh, Steven, you covered – Stephen Holder from ESPN as our guest. You covered Frank Reich, obviously, as the head coach here. Were yeah. you surprised of the timing of his release in Carolina? And was that his last stop as a head coach?
1: A little surprised, but I would say that things were were increasingly looking messier in recent weeks. You know, and I, I remember a few weeks ago, you might recall seeing reports about uh, Frank Reich handing over the play calling to Thomas Brown, their offense coordinator, and then a, a couple weeks later, when nothing really changed, uh, Frank Reich took over the play calling again. He, he usurped that uh, from Brown. That was a very strange series of events. So I had one person who's worked for Frank who gave me a theory and he said, you know, the way I see this is Frank was asked to give up the play calling. It didn't work. And so he perhaps told the owner or whoever, probably the owner, Hey, let me do what I do. Right. And so ultimately when you get to that point, you're grasping at straws because you're under a lot of pressure. That's clear, right? That was very clear that there was a lot of pressure. And and when you're losing, there's always pressure, but it's a different kind of pressure when you think, uh-oh, I, my neck might be on the line here. You know, uh, I, I can say this. I do think, and I don't know that anyone disagrees with this. I, I don't know what you know about the Carolina Panthers under Frank Reich after 10 games with that roster. I mean, what do you really even know? You know what I mean? If that doesn't make Frank Reich a great coach, that's fine. If you think differently, I just, I mean, what do you really know? What are you even basing this decision on? I just, I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense to me. You're certainly not helping the quarterback. You, you haven't helped the coach by giving him the roster that you gave him. I mean, what did anyone expect? You traded your best player. You know, I don't know that that situation is is a complete disaster. I do think this is probably it for Frank Reich. Uh, it would have to be a hell of a sales job to get another job, even if he got a raw deal. I just think you know you, you get tainted, you know, when you get fired in season two years in a row, and and in both situations, I'll wrap by saying this: in both situations, we could argue that you should have given him the year, and that you didn't really gain much by making the move early, but. You know, that's the business. It is
0: what it is. You know, it's funny, Steven. I was saying yesterday, the irony being, perhaps the undoing or the beginning of the end for Frank Reich in Indianapolis came with the fact that he pushed for and ended up getting probably the wrong quarterback. And then in Carolina, perhaps the undoing for Frank Reich was the fact that he pushed for and didn't get the right quarterback, right? Right. I mean, if if you're
1: saying that you think he wanted – C.J. Stroud, is that what you're suggesting there? Yeah, yeah. I I firmly believe that. I'm not reporting that, let me be clear, because I got myself a little hot water on that. Uh, Hot water is too strong a word, but I ruffled some feathers in Carolina a month ago. I think we might have talked about this. But basically what I I tweeted was that the prevailing thought around the NFL, and I have talked to people who I think absolutely know what they're talking about. The prevailing thought is that Frank Reich wanted C.J. Stroud, and that the owner was smitten with Bryce Young. Uh, I've talked to people who who worked with Frank Reich, who worked for the Colts. They all think the same thing. So that's a pretty and those are pretty compelling uh, thoughts, I think, to to draw from when you're drawing your opinion on this. You know, so it is interesting. Yes, I certainly the the crossroads in Indianapolis. For Frank Reich was uh, the, the Carson Wentz trade no doubt about it because the way that turned out I think undermined him with the owner There's no doubt about it and then as you said not getting the right quarterback in Carolina may have been uh, what ultimately did him in there and, and again that ironically might not
0: have been his fault Stephen I'm almost embarrassed to ask this next question because it's going to sound so ridiculous okay Okay. So I'm going to ask you to to like have a heart in your answer, okay? Got it. Is there any chance, any chance, that we have seen the last of Shaquille Leonard as an NFL starting linebacker? Mm.
1: No, I mean I don't think that's a ridiculous question, not at all. Because I, I actually think there is a chance we've seen the last of him as a you know as a as a bona fide starting player. It's possible. I mean look, he's in Dallas this week or at least was yesterday. And if he gets signed there and I don't know their linebacking lineup or depth chart by heart, but whatever it is, I mean that's a very good defense number one. So you don't just come in and, and just rework your depth chart for Shaquille Leonard just because I mean
0: I don't know. It's not that doesn't seem like a slam dunk to me. Well was he matter. if you take away the quickness Okay, like the mm-hmm. the yeah. ability to just go, just go, right? Like unwind yeah. and just let him go. Is he schematically, is he discipline-wise a good linebacker? Or does he have to have that extra 2% motor that his body has now denied him?
1: I would say that what made Shaquille Leonard the player that he was in year one through four, what made him that player was his – Unique physical skills that and his his instincts, which are elite He definitely has good instincts Now the instincts are great and and that that can carry you through even when your body doesn't give you what you want The problem is you've got to translate the instincts into action I can see it. I can see the ball. I can see where it's going But does it matter if I can't get there, right? And I think that's the challenge he's facing um, when you have that combination, that rare combination of instincts and just elite explosiveness, which Shaquille had unquestionably, um, that is where you get into that rare air where he was a candidate for like defensive player of the year. You know, so I, I just, I don't know, man, when you take that away, I just think it's too much part of his game to, you know, for him to really ever be the same. I mean, if unless he recaptures it, if he does, great the Colts clearly didn't think that was going to happen. And, and they have more information on this than anybody. So as much as I hate saying these things, I take no pleasure in saying this. I, In fact, I've hated covering this story because I think we were so fortunate to watch this guy at the pinnacle of his position. I mean, what a story South Carolina state. He, he gets drafted and most people have never heard of this guy. And by week two, we're like, okay, all right. Yep this guy's rookie of the year. I mean, it's crazy, you know, so it, it, it really, I take no joy in it, but uh, this game is unforgivable. ESPN's or unforgiving, unforgiving, excuse me. Yeah. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
2: Steven, speaking of areas where there's murky waters for certain, we know that if John Taylor is forced to miss time, it'll be Zach Moss there. And there's stability, as you mentioned earlier in our conversation. When you look at this offense, they're averaging 21 points a game over the last three. They're all three wins. No one's going to really complain about that. When you dive deeper, one touchdown, two picks, last three games for Gardner Minshew. If the running game takes a step back or even – is a little lesser than it is with John and Taylor with Zach Moss out there. Is there enough out of Minshew to think that it's not going to hurt their playoff chances if JT's forced to miss some extended time, not just Moss being out there, but what you would then continue to ask of Gardner Minshew. Yeah.
1: I think the more you have to ask of Minshew, the, the more, you know, your playoff chances become imperiled. Okay, in my opinion, there's no doubt about that. I mean, go back to the games where he has had to, I, I think I would say, you know, match the other team's quarterback or, or in any kind of shootout, right? Those games are the games he struggled. I mean, if you go through that three-game losing streak, what was it? Jacksonville, Cleveland, New Orleans? Yeah. And all of those games have what in common? The defense gave up a ton of points. And what happened offensively? The Colts tried to, to keep up, and in, in some respects they did, like in terms of just total yards. And, and to some to some extent, they they were able to actually, you know, be on the same level. The the problem is the turnovers are what killed Minshew in those games. And because when you again, when you ask him to do more, now you're asking him to press a little more, and that's when he gets outside of himself, and then you have problems. So. I, I think it could be it could be a major issue now if Zach Moss is is what he can be and they can continue to you know to give give him good running lanes the offensive lines playing well uh, that was by, by the way a great rushing performance in light of the opponent against Tampa Bay that is a great run defense and the Colts they ran the ball kind of at will in that game so give them credit so if they can keep generating that kind of production even with with Zach Moss I think they'll be okay and they're still going to be in it but but if it doesn't and it falls more on the quarterback that is a problem
0: Stephen Holder is our guest he's with ESPN.com Stephen I'm going to look into the future a little bit here okay I think it's great what the Colts are doing I know people are excited that they are right now in the playoff mix and I think they're going to stay there based on the fact that you know they're playing pretty well They've beaten literally probably three of the weakest teams in the league to get there, but you got to win the games on your schedule, and they've done that. That changes a little bit the complexion of their schedule for next year if they continue to move along and have success. Can success and the enjoyment of it this year actually have detrimental impact next year by throwing Anthony Richardson into a more difficult scenario and a schedule that could bring them back down a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not crazy. I, I think if you think about it, there will be
1: they, – they won't have a first-place schedule, so that helps. I mean, I'm not picking them to win this division, I mean, unless Jacksonville is going to go on an epic losing streak, right? So so I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, it, it all depends on where they finish in the division. It'll be very interesting, in fact, because them and Houston are neck and neck right now. So the, if the Colts in Houston, whoever finishes uh, second in the, in the division will have – you know, a a little bit harder schedule than the third place team. So that order actually could matter, you know, not just for the draft and things like that. It's going to matter for next year's schedule. I I do think that, yes, this was the perfect storm for them schedule-wise, you know, for the team that they have this year. There's no doubt about it. Because a lot of times we talk about a schedule before the season looking like a, a soft schedule, and oftentimes that doesn't, tend to be the case you know once you you see who's actually good in a given year but this year it actually held true (laughs) like their schedule really does suck (laughs) so uh, you know I don't know maybe maybe we won't know until this time next year but yeah I mean theoretically um, if they don't finish last place in the division and I don't think they will it'll be a step up for them and it'll be interesting to see how they how they adapt to that. But but the difference between second and third could be, you know, could be significant. So that'll be interesting.
0: Where are they still, speaking of the Colts, where are they still the most flawed? Hmm. Um, I I think that they, I mean, honestly, we can start at quarterback. I, I just,
1: I hate, like, dumping on Gardner Minshew. I don't want to do that. But I I just think that while he has made some plays when asked to do it, like the – The New England game, like the end of the game, I mean, he did not have a good day. At the end of the game, he made a couple throws, got a couple clutch first downs, they closed it out. But they have been able to protect him during this three-game streak. They they really have. And, you know, when you can't do that, that's when they get in trouble. And we've already seen evidence of that. So that's an issue. Um, But corner is still not a great situation. But, you know, to their credit, they've pulled it off in recent weeks, so I give them credit there. But you know, do I feel great about the, the corners? I wouldn't say that. They're getting it done, and I won't take that away from them. So, we'll but you know, if we're talking about if we're talking about making the playoffs, then this has to be about consistency moving forward. You know, it can't just be oh they had a couple good weeks against really bad opponents. No, you got to keep doing it. I mean, there's no there's no room and margin for error. You know, the way for example C J Stroud is playing. I mean, Houston is is probably their or one of their chief nemesis right now for a playoff spot right so you got to keep winning um so anyway we've covered quarterback corners uh I would say the pass rush has been better but what I would what I have been disappointed with is the run defense like that how much of that's Grover
0: Stewart not being there
1: yeah I, I think I do attribute it to that so hopefully I'm I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and assume it gets better when Grover Stewart comes back. If we still see this issue when Grover Stewart returns, then they got bigger issues there. But I'm I'm hoping that's what that's about.
2: ESPN.com Stephen Holder nice enough to join us. Stephen, from a passing game standpoint, in terms of where the targets are being distributed, I felt like Michael Pittman Jr. and Josh Downs clearly solidified themselves. They weren't already as your one-two punch in the passing game. As you look at the rest of the schedule. Is it a distribution of those two wide receivers getting 65% of the targets? I know it's probably an easy question, but is that type of distribution the best path to success in the Colts passing game moving forward this year? Yeah,
1: as long as you're not forcing the ball to people. And, you know, there were some situations I thought on Sunday – Gardner Minshew and Josh Downs just could not connect. I don't know what was going on there. I, I think a lot of it was on the quarterback. Uh, Downs did have a drop, at least one drop uh, that was pretty blatant, so that didn't help. So you know, sometimes that can happen, and maybe it's just a one-off. I don't know, but but just you know, you don't want to force the ball to people because you've had past success there. You know, someone else might be open. You know, so so that that's the only that's the only caveat. I. I would add to that. Um, I'm fine though with force feed, not force feeding, but, but feeding Pittman. Um, He makes contested catches. He, he gets you, at least he maximizes what he can get after the catch. And, you know, I just think you just have to trust him. You know, if he's covered, is he really covered? You know what I mean? So I just think that Michael Pittman, by the way, you know, for all the, Is he a number one? Is he a number two? I tweeted about this the other day, so you probably saw my tweet for some of you. But he's on pace for over 1,200 yards. I mean, like, I don't know what – you can label him whatever you want to label him. But the guy shows up every week and plays like a dog, and D-A-W-G, I guess.
0: And I don't know what there is to complain about. Resign him, give him his money, and just keep it moving. Uh, Steven, other than the Jonathan Taylor story – Tell me what else you're working on at ESPN.com.
1: So one thing that that I have been pleasantly surprised, or but I guess I've I've, I've enjoyed watching this year is the growth of Reggie Wayne as a coach. And I was so I was down in the field the other day before the game. Chuck Pagano and his wife were down there. They've known Reggie forever, you know, just going back to the Miami days. And Tina Pagano was was watching Reggie on the field with the team warming up. And she said, you know, it's just so weird seeing Reggie like doing this. You know, they, apparently she told me they talked for, they talked to him for years about like, Hey man, you should be a coach. And he just was like, nah, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And finally last year, Frank, Wright like, Convinced him. So anyway, I recounted that with Reggie and I wanted to hear from him like, dude, your first year of coaching was a complete absolute disaster. <laughs> okay. Frank gets fired. Uh, you you get just Saturday, your old teammate as your coach, who doesn't know what he's doing, to be completely honest. And then you go home and they tell you, well, you might have a job and you might not. Why would you want to come back? And he just, you know, he said, I had a lot of unfinished business. So anyway, um, that's that's the story we've got planned for later this week. I, I, it's just been a joy. You know, I, I think to watch the maturity and the maturation and, and the growth of Reggie as a coach um, has been really cool.
0: Stephen, appreciate the time as always. Fun last night and appreciate the conversation today. All right, you got it. All right, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com.